As I go through all these episodes of Biblical Genetics, I am learning a lot of very important life lessons. My wife read a book many years ago about the different types of husbands, and I don't remember all the different types, but I remember two. One of them was called the Mr. Steady. The other one was called a Visionary. If you want to run a podcast, you had better be a Mr. Steady, not a Visionary. Well, I'm a Visionary. I tend to come up with ideas and run with them until, you know, beat them to death. And then when I get tired of them, I put them down and I just kind of walk away. So this weekend I've been building a robot. I resurrected a, uh, a project I did about 30 years ago. I put an Arduino board on there and a robot controller and some DC motors because it's just fun. And I'm interested in so many different things. So I really do appreciate you spending your time tuning into biblical genetics, even if just, you know, 15 or 20 minutes a week or every other week. But I am cranking these out as best I can. I'm trying very hard to pay attention to what I'm doing, to pay attention to the future episodes, the current episode, to make sure that I'm producing good quality content for you. This particular one I did film again twice. The one that I had ready to go for next week, I decided I'm not going to use that production. I'm going to do it again. It didn't come out good enough for me. So I am pushing myself really hard to be more of a Mr. Steady than I am normally. I don't know where you are in your walk, where you are in your place in life. I don't know what you're doing with your extra time, but I do hope that you are using it wisely. It's really easy to fritter time away. I know I spend way too much time watching Amazon Prime movies or YouTube videos or whatever. I'm just, there's this thing called life and life is a parasite and it sucks away all of our time. But I do hope that I am producing some content for you. Now this particular week's episode is a summary of a paper that I presented with some friends. I was a second or third author on the paper uh, at the International Conference of Creationism. It was two years ago, 2018, in the summer, and we worked hard on this. This is a significant challenge. In fact, at one point, we were ready to can the paper because we thought we had failed and we didn't really have anything to say. But it ended up coming together through the grace of God in an amazing way, and we had something in the end that was amazing. What we did is we ran a bunch of population models and compared them to evolutionary models, creation models, and real-world data from the Thousand Genomes Project. And we attempted to see what would happen if we just started with Adam and Eve, just a straight-up Adam and Eve model, let it run for a few thousand years, put a Noah's Flood bottleneck in the middle of that, and see if we could get what's called the allele frequency distribution to match the chromosome 22 data. Now, I probably just lost half of you because of the big sentence I just said. Let me explain this. An allele is a variant. If you have a place in the genome where some people have an A and some people have a G, there's two alleles, an A or a G. The allele frequency is a graph of how common the alleles are. So if you had a, a bunch of mutations happening in a population over time, they only start off in one person. And if you graph the distribution of alleles, you would have a whole bunch of them that were really rare. They'd be at the beginning of your graph. So if it was a bar graph or histogram, you'd have a bunch of bars at the beginning that were really tall and would trail off to smaller and smaller and smaller numbers as you try to look at more and more frequent variations. And this is a huge challenge because if you just start with Adam, Adam's only got two chromosomes of each chromosome, two copies of each chromosome. And if he's only got two chromosomes, then any allele 
Maybe one copy has an A and the other copy has a G. That puts each allele at 50-50. 50% each. And yet when we look at the chromosome data from the 1000 Genomes Project, that's not what we see. Not even close, not even remotely close. What we see is a massive amount of extremely rare variation and hardly any letters that are found in 40 or 50% of the population. So do you think we can do it? Yeah, I think we can do it. And I think we did a great job in the end and we had an awesome paper. The paper will be linked in the show notes for you to refer to because I'm doing this verbally, but I'm verbally describing a lot of graphs and results. And it was actually a challenge to do this using words that you could listen to instead of just see. But the paper's there if you're interested. Just click on the link and follow through and you can either look at the graphs while I'm speaking or follow it up later. There are a couple of other links I have also, but not too many because mainly I'm talking about one particular result of one particular paper. If you'd like to help support biblical genetics, it's easy to do. Go to buymeacoffee.com, look for Bib Genetics, or click on the link in the show notes and it's there for you. You don't have to. The thing I would appreciate most, honestly, is promotion. If you could go to your podcasting platform and rate this show or share the show on social media, talk it up on social media, that would be more of a benefit to me than anything else because I need to grow my audience and my audience is growing, but I need to grow it. But organic growth is amazing to see. It's fun to see a little community start to develop around an idea and we are developing a community here and I appreciate all of you uh, joining this community. But I know there are more people out there that want to hear this, more people interested in the subject, more people that just like quirky and weird uh, random science podcasts that they just like to you know, plug into every once in a while. Before I go, I must thank uh, some of my more recent supporters. I know I've, I've kind of fallen behind a little bit, but Sarah H., you are a gem. Thank you. That was uh, a lot of coffees that you bought me, and I really appreciate it. That's going to, to fund some technology upgrades. On the video, I did thank the two doctors, and uh, they are so f one of my highest gifts I've gotten so far. Uh, amazing. Thank you. That's probably going to go to a new microphone, I, honestly. Uh, Stephanie S., thank you. Don and Matt from Standing for Truth. I was on their podcast uh, last week or the week before. We had a really good time. I would highly recommend you go look up Standing for Truth. Uh, they're out there. You can find them. They have some really good material. Uh, ben C., I know you. You've done it twice now in a row. Thank you much for both of your donations. Adam B., you're awesome. Zach K., um, this is multiple times now that you've donated to Biblical Genetics. Thank you. Someone named someone. You're awesome, but actually I can see your email address. And so even though you're trying to be anonymous, I will let you be anonymous online. Um, but you, you've actually done this multiple times now, and I appreciate it. Uh, M, I can't, some M, MD something at AOL.com, you rock. So all you people, thank you so much for keeping me going. Thank you so much for the encouragement. You have no idea how encouraging it actually is and how you're pushing me to keep on producing content. Because if someone has given me a little bit of money, well, then I owe it to them to give them something in return. And that something in return is more biblical genetics. This is fun. I'm loving doing this. This is challenging. And what I'm about to share with you is a massive challenge that we met and that we answered. So here you have it. Modern humans from Adam and Eve, you bet.
On this episode of Biblical Genetics, we're going to start with Adam and Eve, and we're going to use them to explain the genes carried by modern people. I'm titling this, Modern Humans from Adam and Eve? You bet. Now, I know that this discussion is never-ending, and I know that once something is answered, it's just going to move on to something else. And I know this has actually been answered already, and even online I'm seeing that people raising up other things like, oh yeah, what about this, and what about that? Well, wait a second. Let's make sure that everyone's on the same page here. Let's make sure that we have answered this one question. But if you start with the Adam and Eve hypothesis, there are multiple you know, problems that might arise, things that have to be answered. An older one, which I answered very conclusively several years ago, was, well, if you have Adam and Eve, you can't get the number of genetic variants seen in the world population today. I mean, there are millions of differences that separate people around the world. You can't have, start with Adam and Eve and do that? Well, no, absolutely you can. I'll get back to that in another episode. A second issue is people claim that if you start with Adam and Eve, because Adam has two of each chromosome, if he has any variation on those chromosomes, it's going to be 50-50. Maybe there's an A at one spot on chromosome 1 and a G at, a, at that same spot on chromosome 1. So initially, the frequency of any variation is 50-50. That's not true today. Most variations found across the world are extremely rare. If you made a graph of the distribution of the alleles, or it's called an allele frequency spectrum, it will be piled up on the left side where most of the data is in the 0 to 1% category and very few things were even found in 30% or 40% of modern humans. So how do you start with an atom model where everything is 50% and get to a modern model where almost everything's at 1%? That's a significant challenge. Now, I've already seen online in multiple places a new challenge arising, and that is if you start with Adam or even say Adam and Eve, at most, in any region of the genome, a collection of letters, it's called a haplotype or a block of letters, you can only have four different blocks. And when we look in the genome today, we don't see four blocks. We see something very different. Again, this will be a future biblical genetics episode. Once I have time to study and present this information to you, I think we can answer this easily. I want to focus on the allele frequency distribution here because this has been conclusively answered. I published a paper with several colleagues at the last International Conference of Creationism in the summer of 2018. We titled it, Adam and Eve, Design Diversity and Allele Frequencies. And we absolutely answered the question. Can you start with an atom and get a whole bunch of really rare variants today? Yes, you can. But we had to use a computer program. We used a program called Mendel's Accountant. I reviewed this in a Journal of Creation last year. Uh, Mendel's Accountant, as far as I know, is the single most sophisticated evolutionary modeling program ever written. And it was written by creationists, using nothing but evolutionary assumptions, evolutionary terminology, evolutionary ideas, and it was written directly to test evolutionary theory. And it did an excellent job at it. So in this program, you can tile in how large a population you want how much mutation you want, what the frequency of good to bad or powerful to weak mutations is, how much natural selection would you like, does the population grow, does it shrink, how many children does each female have on average, what's the average lifespan, all sorts of things like that can be plugged into the model. And a lot of papers have come out of this research, some amazing papers, which I'll review again on a future episode. But for this one, we wanted to say, okay, can we really start with an atom where all of his genes are at 50-50 and arrive at modern people. 
And using Mendel's accountant, we tested several different models. We tested a model of nothing but mutation. No created diversity in Adam and Eve at all, just zero, and we just let mutations accumulate. We even let mutations accumulate over a vast period of time. We call that the evolutionary model. We tested what we called an evolutionary Adam and Eve model, where we had an evolutionary very old population. We just picked two people, killed off everybody else, and let them reset the population and grow into a modern population. We had a, a model where we had Adam with no diversity, Adam with lots of diversity in his chromosomes, Eve, a clone of Adam, Eve, a duplicate of Adam, and we had another model we called the design gametes model where Adam and Eve had in their own reproductive cells lots of different genomes. In that model, the amount of diversity in the human population depended on how many children Adam and Eve had. We had models where we had lots of selection, models where we had little selection, but all that modeling is worthless unless we could compare it to real-world data. So we turned to the Thousand Genomes Project and we downloaded all the chromosome 22 data for over 2,000 individuals and we graphed the frequency of the alleles that we found in those people. And sure enough, most of the letters that we found were rare. So maybe, you know, 99.9% .9 of the people in the world have a G at one location, but one or two people in the whole database had an A. That's a, that A is really rare. And the graph is, everything is piled up on the left side in the rare category and it trails off very quickly so that there are very few letters that are found in a lot of people. Let me give you an example. The contrary case might be the ABO blood groups. Now O is clearly a mutation of A. People with O blood, they have the gene for A, but there's one letter change in one place that messes up the protein. So you're still manufacturing the protein that stuck to sugars on the outside of your cells, but the protein is broken and it doesn't work. But you have an A ancestor. So A and B are the originals, I believe in Adam, but A, B, and O exist today. And O is really frequent. About half the people in the world, approximately, have type O blood but even more people carry the O allele. I mean, my blood group is B, but I have a child who is O, so clearly I must carry the O allele also. There are other letters that are less common, something like the blue-eyed allele. That's very common only in Northern Europe. It's hardly ever found anywhere else in the world unless you have European ancestors, but that trait is restricted to a small subset of the human population. Sickle cell anemia is very common in Central Africa, only. It's very rare in other places in the world. So most alleles, most variants, most call them genes if you like, are rare. And we saw that in the human chromosome 22 data. Now we're going to run a bunch of models and we're going to see if our models match reality. Now interestingly, this argument has nothing to do with Y chromosomes and mitochondria because the evolutionists and the creationists both agree that our Y chromosome and mitochondrial ancestor was in the recent past, and there's only one of each. So even though there's thousands of years separating them, even for the evolutionists, Y chromosome Adam and mitochondrial Eve are very recent in the evolutionary scheme of things. So if an individual in the ancient past was carrying a Y chromosome with a mutation, he might have millions of individual descendants today. Fine. The variants on that Y chromosome will be very common in the world population. But most of the variants, again, are rare because over time they build up and build up and build up and most of the letter changes are only found in a few people. I probably have a Y chromosome variant seen in no other man in the world.
that variant would be incredibly rare. So we started running our models and we got some very interesting results. The evolutionary model almost looked like the chromosome 22 data, but there's some significant differences, which I'll point out at the end. The evolutionary Adam and Eve model, again, looked almost like the chromosome 22 data, but we found a lot more variants that were more common because when you run a population through a bottleneck, you take the variation that's there and whatever the variation is carried by the two people or the few people in your bottleneck, well, that variant might have been one out of a million people, but it's one out of two people if you only have a two-person bottleneck. Therefore, you get a lot of variants that are at 50%, 40%, 30% in an evolutionary Adam and Eve model. Our model where we just had no variation in the beginning over 6,000 years, so we're only looking at mutational buildup in a biblical population, looked almost like the chromosome 22 data again, but it wasn't quite right. And there's several different ways to look at the data. If you start with every single variant in your population at 50%, in other words, an atom model where he has two chromosomes and each one of the chromosomes can have variations, so therefore any letter is at 50% compared to the other letter. And if you put that into the population over time, you will see that some of the letters become a little more rare. Maybe they get down to 40%. Some of them become a little more common. Maybe they get up to maybe 60%. And the reason for this is just random chance. If Adam has an A and a G on chromosome 1, well, it's 50-50 which letter he's going to pass to his child. If he even had 10 children, it's quite possible that six of the child would get the A and only four children would get the G or something like that. So the variance, they start spreading out in their frequency over time. And if you add a Noah's flood to that population after about 10 generations, you see a radical spreading out of the alleles. You've got some that drop down to near zero and some that get to near fixation. Now fixation doesn't mean repairing. In genetics, fixation means becoming stuck. It's fixed in place. And a variant that's found in 100% of the people is fixed because there's no second variant. It has been lost. So you see a, a very dramatic spreading out of the allele frequency spectrum. Some things are rare, some things are common after a bottleneck. Now, still we have a hump around 50%. Most of the variants are still in the 50% level and this doesn't all look like the chromosome 22 data. So what do we do? How do we get there? Well, what if Eve is only a haploid clone of Adam? What if God took half of Adam's chromosomes and doubled them to make Eve? In which case she's 100% homozygous, but we know that she didn't inherit his Y chromosome. She would have had to have two copies of an X chromosome. So maybe in the X chromosome, there's no diversity. But in that model, all the variants are at 75% or 25%. And we can't tell what the starting variant was. So we just set them all to 25%. And if you take that and run it over time, as they start spreading out, some of them start piling up at the zero mark, zero to one percent category, they become more rare. And then if you throw in a biblical flood, you get not just a widening of the allele distribution, but a sloping because anything that hits zero percent can't go any further. And the things just start to pile up on the left side of the distribution, meaning you get a lot of rare things. Not quite looking yet like the chromosome 22 distribution, but we're getting closer. In the end, our best model included heterozygosity in Adam and Eve, designed alleles in their reproductive cells, mutation, selection, drift, and a bottleneck at the flood. And we add all those things together, we get a curve that looks very much like what we saw in chromosome 22. We get a lot of very rare alleles. We get very few common alleles. 
In fact, the mutations overwhelm the created diversity that Adam and Eve carried. In fact, when we looked at all the models together, the worst fit to the chromosome 22 data was our evolutionary model. The purely evolutionary model had too many alleles in maybe the 5 to 20% category. It overestimated them. So interestingly, not only has the question been absolutely answered, you can get a modern allele frequency distribution starting with Adam and Eve, but the evolutionary model gave us worse results. Wow, we didn't expect that. This is exciting. This is powerful. This is dramatic support for the biblical model. We don't have to run away from this. I know there's other questions. There's a lot of questions. There's no end to the questions, but this particular one is absolutely answered. You can get the modern allele frequency spectrum with a lot of rare variants starting from Adam and Eve only 6,000 years ago. So I hope that was encouraging to some of you. My friends and I took a direct challenge to biblical authority. We looked at it mathematically, computationally, we studied it up and down and one way and the other using very sophisticated computer technology and mathematical analyses. And we showed the Bible can be trusted, the biblical story matches the data, and the evolutionary story is the worst fit to the data out of all the models that we used. Now it doesn't mean evolution is wrong and creation is true. That's not the way science works, but it does mean the Bible cannot be invalidated based on this one argument. In fact, um, it looks like it's pointing away from the evolutionary story. Before I go, I do want to thank all my supporters, specifically this week, people that they just call themselves the two doctors. Your gift was above and beyond. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm going to be significantly upgrading some of my technology, probably my microphone technology uh, this month because of that. Thank you. If you would like to partner with Biblical Genetics, the way that I've chosen to do this is through a website called buymeacoffee.com. There's a link in the show notes. Now, it's not like people are really buying me coffee. It's just the digital equivalent of a cup of coffee. It's just a couple of dollars and you can scale it up to one, three, five, or however many you like. And for all of you out there who are doing so, thank you so much. If you're not doing so, you don't have to. Watch my videos, share my videos. In fact, the best thing you can do probably is talk it up online. And if you're listening on podcast, please go to the podcasting platform that you're using and rate my show and then share it on social media with other people. That would be the biggest help you could ever give me. Thank you all for watching. I hope you're encouraged. <laughs>